Welcome to the Wild Grand Rapids message of the week. We hope you're encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Pastor Matthew Fuller. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Amen. I am back. I'm happy to be home. So good. I was in... uh, Portland last week. I wasn't here with you all. I missed service. I was watching online, though, from my hotel room as I was getting ready. I was, yeah, that is funny, isn't it? It was a funny service, wasn't it? Um, anybody know where Corinthians went? Second one. It's after the first last time I checked. Okay, there we go. Got it open. All right, um, so yeah, I was in Portland last week. I went to a, uh, an expo, a coffee convention. There is no place on earth that looks more like heaven than a coffee expo. It is a land flowing with beans and milk. Not much milk. There was a lot of black coffee there. But it was a great time. I was, in, uh, I was there from Thursday last week for the week before until Monday, uh, and, and missed my family dearly, so I'm, I, honestly, I'm really happy to be home. I had a great time. I'm going to share a little bit more about that in a little bit, but we are kicking off our new series this morning called Kingdom Culture. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what culture is and the importance of it and what, what it is that we're even talking about when we're saying a kingdom culture. Now, culture is, it's defined in, in a way that's like, it's it's a group of people that have a, a certain set of ideals, a certain way of thinking, a way of doing life that is agreed upon and recognized by the entire community. Like it is a, some defining features that dictate what a group or a, a, a people group look like. Like for example, I'm from Iowa. And uh, culture in Iowa, if you're from Iowa, anybody else from Iowa in here? We got one. Super coincidental, being my mom and all, uh, but we happen to both be from Iowa. Um, and in our culture, if you're from Iowa, specifically Northeast Iowa, where we're from, that means that we know what corn boils are. How many have been to a corn boil in the room? Oh, we got a couple. It's part of our culture. We do corn boils, we hang out, we float down the Mississippi River, we drive tractors to school. We have, uh, we have refrigerators in our garage stocked with colored water that's fermented, oftentimes distilled as well. There's a certain way of living in Iowa. We're a special, unique breed of people in Iowa. And now if you ask some of those things, like why do you do corn boils? Why do you go to Swiss Valley and and get, and get crawfish out of the creek and, and, do, and, do, and boil those up afterwards as well. How many have been to Swiss Valley before? We got one again. And if you ask us why we do those things, the answer is probably because, just because that's what we do. Like it's just normal in who we are. We don't need an explanation. We don't need a, a reason or a law to do a corn boil. It's just because that's what we do because we're from Iowa and we really have nothing else to do. So we wanna make festivities of our corn and we come together and we eat it. Now, in the United States of America, we have uh, certain holidays that we all celebrate. Now, some of them, they're, they're actually federal law. 
it's a, it's, it's a federal holiday. Uh, the, Thanksgiving is a federal holiday. Now, if, if it was no longer law, if it was not part of our federal law, if it was not a federally recognized holiday, we would likely still celebrate Thanksgiving. Because it's just a part of who we are. It's what we do as Americans. We gather around our table. It's part of our DNA. It's in the core. It's in our way of thinking. It's in part of our traditions. So when we are saying that, that we are starting off this series of kingdom culture, what we're talking about is we as a people, as a group, as Christians, as the ecclesia, as the church of God, have things that have become natural to who we are. And it's just because it's who Jesus is. So when we're talking about a kingdom culture, what we're talking about is the ways of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, the way that he lived here upon this earth, now becomes natural part of who we are as Christians, as believers. I'm sure we've all experienced this where we've, we've seen another believer and, and maybe they haven't told us, but there's just something about them. It's like we can identify, oh, they, they, they're a Christian too. There's something about them. There's just a way that they do life. There's something to them that I recognize. I recognize this culture of heaven that is living within me that is also living within them. And now the ways, the culture of heaven, the ways of the kingdom are in direct opposition to the ways of this world. So even though I may have a culture for my upbringing, even though I may have a certain way of thinking or a certain way of living, a certain way of doing life, a certain way of relating to people or experiencing new situations based on the culture that I was raised in, all of those things have been crucified with Christ. The ways of the world, the things that I was used to, the ways that I identify with are no longer the ways of this world, but are the ways of the kingdom. And no longer do the excuses that I have, well, that was just how I was raised. That was just the way that we do things. I have now disassociated myself 100% fully from the ways of this world because that, that man was killed. That man was crucified and that man is now dead and I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So now this culture of the kingdom that I now operate in, I learn, I grow, I reflect who he is here upon this earth. That means that I'm no longer bound to the ways of this world. That's good news. That means the ways that, the, the culture that I live in, the laws that I am held to as an ambassador of Christ are the laws of heaven. That means when, it, when as a leader in the world we are demanding and demeaning, but in the kingdom we are filled with service and of sacrifice. In the world, in order to get, I have to take. In the kingdom, in order to get, I have to give. In the world, if I want to go high, I've got to strive, I've got to push, I've got to climb. In the kingdom, I just have to get lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. You see, we live, we operate in a kingdom that is not of this world, and we are meant to live fully in that other kingdom while occupying here upon this earth. Not only to live it, but to display it and to spread it here upon this globe. We, as an apostolic people, are meant to bring the culture of heaven, the ways of Jesus. That's, that is what we are talking about, the ways of Jesus here upon this earth. That means when I think about what my future holds, I don't look at my bank account to determine that. 
Because I'm no longer bound to the provision of this earth, I'm bound to the provision in the words of my Father. That means I don't any longer have to respond to situations as they are coming my way. All I have to respond to is his voice in my life. That means, just like what my mom said earlier, we already won. And I am now living out of the victory that Christ paid for 2,000 years ago. As one that is living according to heaven and not according to this ways of this earth. And now, now what I get afraid of sometimes is, and, and it can be so easy to do, we live in this world and we're, we're breathing in the scent of this culture all the time, the ways of the world. And if we're not careful, what we do is we take the best ideas of the world and we put a fish bumper sticker on it. Like we take the best ideas of this earth, the ways of the world, and we slap a cross on it and call it Christian. But actually, the ways of the kingdom are in direct opposition to the ways of this earth. One is life and one is death. One is darkness and one is light. They are polar opposites. The way that we are meant to live is not to look like the ways of this earth. I am supposed to look different because I am a different person. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. My life is hidden with him. I'm living in heaven as I'm here upon this earth. It's going to look nothing like the ways of this world. And they were not supposed to. We are not meant to water ourselves down to become a good version, a nice person without an opinion here upon this globe. You know, the nicest people, what we're saying is, is they just have no opinions. But see, we have been given an opinion from Jesus to go and to spread his gospel to every creature throughout this world. So over the, this past weekend, I was, uh, I was in Portland, as I mentioned, and uh, about a week ago. And, and my business right now, over the last six months, I own a, uh, a, a restaurant and coffee roastery in Grand Rapids, for those of you that are new, that with a couple locations operating in the Grand Rapids area and, and a uh, coffee roasting facility. And the coffee roasting facility has been new for us. It's a it's a new venture. We've been roasting our own coffee, but we just opened up a brand new location about five minutes from the church here that's just dedicated to roasting coffee. And I've been, I've been feeling inside this, this transition for about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so. And it's like, I can't put my finger on what specifically it is. Have you, have you ever felt that? It's like, I know something's changing, I don't know what it is, so right now all I'm going to do is what's in front of me. That's my best advice. Do what is in front of you and do it wholeheartedly and watch God open up doors in the future. If, if, if you feel like you don't know where to go or what to do, find out who God put you, in, put you with here and do whatever they're doing then until you can figure out your own. Just do something. Get aligned with community. Get aligned with family and watch God unfold the path before you. It's a beautiful thing. So I've been in this like this weird transition kind of kind of thing and, and discovering what it is that God has for me. And, and about six months ago, uh, I had uh, I had this this really strong impression from the Lord to 
to uh, build this coffee roastery so that I can start sourcing coffee directly from farmers in a, in a way that I haven't before so that I can go and be a benefit to those people. Like I want to go and, and pay them a, a prosperous wage, not just a fair wage, but one that they can actually save for their future generations with, and then hopefully be able to go into impact the region that the, the coffee is grown in. And so part of that mandate, um, there was uh, this expo that was coming up, and they offered this new opportunity to, to go and to meet directly with producers, is what we call coffee farmers in our industry, to go and meet with, with producers and to hopefully try to network and, and make some really great relationships while I'm there. You know, my business, at, at, we rewrote our mission statement about six months ago, and our why, why we do what we do is simply to know and to love our neighbors. And so as a part of knowing and loving our neighbors, I knew that I needed to get to the farmers because if I really want to love them, I have to know who they are. I have to know what makes them tick. I have to know about the hardships that are going on in their life. I don't want to just come give answers to, to questions that they're not even asking. I want to go and be a part of their life to actually show them that I care and then hopefully I can tell them about who I know. And so... I go on this trip and and I uh, and I'm and I'm I'm going and and there's all these like lectures that are taking place throughout the day and it's a, a Friday is the first day of it and I ran into this gentleman that I that I highly admire in the coffee industry he's leading one of the largest uh, largest coffee chains in the U.S. and one of the fastest growing doing about four hundred million dollars a year in sales massive massive company most of you in the room have have been there. And um, so I run into him, say hi. We had kind of gotten connected a couple years back and just very, like I had to tell him who I was to remind him. We're acquaintances. I don't know him. We're acquaintances. And so the day continues and uh, we go in and I'm trying to figure out which, um, which lecture to go in. This is the following day. And I see this, this man walk into one of the lectures and I felt the Holy Spirit just, I got the tinglys. And I went into the room and I thought, you know what, this is the one I'm going to go to. I wasn't going to this one. But if, if he's here and he's doing some amazing things, I might as well follow his lead. Like, what's, what's going to hurt? And so I go into this, uh, this lecture and they start talking about the injustices that take place in the value chain of coffee. You see, we in America, we are so detached from the source of the goods that we actually partake from. Like so much so that people that eat meat can't stand to look at dead animals. Because we are so detached from the reality of where even our food supply comes from. And this has actually been a pattern that's taken place throughout all of civilization where we would go and colonize a new area of land, go to a land that is outside of our eyesight, outside of our hearing, that is in a different part of the world, and steal from those resources to come back and to enjoy. That is still taking place today. That is taking place all over the world with most of the products that we use here in the United States. And that is taking place especially in the coffee community. 80%, I don't even know, I'm just gonna go on a little coffee tangent here for a second. 80% of the world's coffee is grown on, on family farms that are less than five acres. 
These are little tiny family farms that is the sustenance of the people that are here in this, that are, that are living on that farm. It is their only income. Maybe 20, 30 bags of coffee is all they grow every single year. And for us, it's just our, our fun, you know, go juice that we drink in the morning, right? For them, it's their entire livelihood. And so when I was learning about that and I was in this lecture, I felt just all of a sudden this overwhelming sense of God's presence as I was in the room. And I am literally choking up wanting to cry. I'm, you know, I'm hearing of the injustices. Ooh, I can feel it again. And I'm, and I'm like, all right, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. And then we continue going, and, and I start reflecting on my business. So I start reflecting on the ways that we have decided to start to transact, the ways that we have decided to start to do business. And in the last six months, we, we, re, we rewrote our core values of, of what it is that we actually stand for in the business. And there are things like grit, like we actually, in, inside, we have a strength and a resolve of character that regardless of what short-term success looks like, we will hold out for the long run. We, we are a people at Mudpenny that will, no matter how we feel, continue to go forward toward the vision that is put in front of us. We don't stop. We have excellence. We're people first. We care about people before profits, and the profits will follow. You know, we, we care... Um, we are neighborly. We're greeting our neighbors and actually becoming intimately involved in their lives. So I'm reflecting on these core values as I'm there, and, and I'm thinking about the fact that these core values that we all have in our lives are going to dictate the culture that is around us. What we believe inside is how we are going to behave on the outside. So long we've tried to do it opposite that we try to behave to believe when what we need to do is become transformed into the image of Christ so that deep down within there is nothing that can shake us or move us and then we articulate who we are through what we do we articulate who we are in our families' lives we articulate who we are as those children of Christ bearers of his image in the way that we conduct our business in the way that we that, that we raise our kids in the way that that we're uh, you know how we are at the grocery store whatever it is in your day-to-day -day life those core values that you carry within are going to dictate the way that you behave and so we've been kind of in this this weird transition and see, culture is, is nothing more than, than it, it becomes like a greenhouse, a place for things to grow that are welcomed and things to die that are no longer welcome. So we have, we've instituted these core values, and at one of the locations that I have in town, we, uh, we really went hard after it, and we saw a little bit of turnover. Fortunately, at that location, we had some really good hires already that were in place, and we've, we've, we've stuck to it regardless of what people's opinions happen to be according to them. Because I know that I know deep down inside that these cultures, these core values reflect the nature of Jesus. And so I want to do that within my business. So we then took this same core value principles and brought it over to another location. And it's a mass exodus. I'm telling you, there are people leaving like it's a hobby. And I told my leadership team, I said, as long as you are sticking to the core values, you need to let them go. Let them go. They're not bad people. They're just not part of our people. They're not maybe wrong in their thinking. They're just not right with us. 
We have something that we are so strongly believing in that it is creating a tension and a friction. And you see this day, this one day that I, that I heard about this, this other employee that put in, in their notice at the one location, I'm walking into the other one that, that, that feels that, that's got a strong culture that's carrying out the core values. I walk into that location. This is just Tuesday of, or Wednesday of this week. And I have this employee run up to me so excited. He says to me, hey, guess what happened this weekend? And I said, what? I gave my life to Jesus. You see, to one, it's a fragrance of life. And to another, it is a fragrance of death. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. It says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many, many peddlers of God word, but God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, there are going to be things, there are going to be ways that you live your life that will not be liked by this world. And it's not, you are not supposed to be because you are in direct opposition to the ways and the thinking of this world. The Bible actually says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means you make yourself an enemy of God when you operate in the ways and the thinking of this world. And you see where there, maybe there's, a, there's, there's death in other people's life, there is going to be that sense of life for those that God has called you to run with. See, we... Um, this scripture, what it's actually referring to is the Romans, when they would capture an enemy, they would then take that captured enemy and they would march him down the street, right through the center of town, and they would wave incense at the beginning of the parade. You see, for those Romans, that smell of that incense, when they smelt it coming down the street, they knew that that means victory. They knew that that meant life. They knew that that meant it was a good, good day. But for those that are prisoners, those that are in chains, those that are in bondage, as they are smelling that same scent, to them, it's signifying the death that is coming to them. You see, we are actually meant to stand strong in the ways of the kingdom. When we try to become everything for everybody, we, we are saying yes to absolutely nothing. And what we are doing is we are watering down who God has called his people to be. We are watering down who Jesus truly is out of a, I believe it's an attempt to be a pure heart, but honestly, I believe it many times it's just out of a spineless people. It's by a bunch of people that are too weak to stand up for what it is that Jesus said was good, for what it is that Jesus said was lovely, knowing that when that aroma gets smelled by the right people, it's gonna become life to them. There's gonna be nothing that's gonna wanna change when they smell the true aroma of heaven. They will want nothing more than to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. See, this is what we just took, saw take place at Mudpenny. 
This young man that I, was, that I, was, I had been speaking with going through a hard time. Now, I wasn't there when he made his decision for Christ, but there was obviously an environment that was created for him to explore, to think, to dream, to actually think of what it looks like to lay his burdens down. To think about what does that new life actually look like to lay my burdens down. And then I had another employee right after this happens. Another one comes up and she goes, hey, I just want you to know I love this place. Like I came here a totally different person a year ago. And I am amazed when I look back and see all the good things that have happened in my life from being here. We have a voice of life. And at the same time, I have people complaining, murmuring, calling me things that we don't need to repeat. And you know what I decided? It's time to just let them go. You see, Jesus, he has this multitude around him. And he says, why don't you come and drink my blood and eat my flesh? And they all flee. There were some that remained, but a bunch of them left. No, I didn't see Jesus getting up and running after him. You know, there's going to be people that come into your life, that come into my life, that maybe they were meant to be there for only a season. And maybe you said something that didn't sound right to them, but if they're not willing to come in closer and to find out what it is that you're actually talking about, let them go. You see that each and every one of us have been called to a certain tribe of people. It's not to say that these other people are wrong or bad. We're not talking about right or wrong here, but we are, what I am saying is there is a vision up ahead in them or there's a mountain that needs to be climbed. And there's only gonna be a certain group of people that are up for the challenge. See, the air is gonna get thinner up there. And we've all experienced this, that maybe we've said things that, that were wrong. But at some point, we need to quit apologizing for that which we have apologized for. Because what happens is when we are listening to the murmurs and the complainers, those that are trying to hold us down, we are losing sight from the mountain and we're looking down back at the base camp that we were never meant to live at. It was just meant to be a resting point so we can get to the summit. There may be people that are a part of your journey that are going to help you get to here, but they're not going to be able to go to there. That's okay. Let them go. They were never meant to get to that hilltop with you. There's another hill for them to climb. Let them go. And I really believe strongly in this. I feel like there was this shift that took place over this last week in my life as I was reflecting upon some of the people that I care so deeply about and I still care deeply about that are no longer running with me. I know that they're running a race, they're just not running the same race that I'm running. But you know what, good for them. We need people on other mountaintops. We need people going and hitting other areas of society that maybe they're not called to what this church is called to. But God bless them. Celebrate them, Father. I pray, oh man. There is a time to mourn. There is a time to grieve. There is a time to reflect on the things that we have done in our lives. But there's also a time to dance. There's a time to sing, a time to shout, a time to keep on keeping on. And I feel so strongly that this community, this body, I know that there's people in this room that, that people that have been close to you have left you. It's time to let them go. 
It's time to quit looking behind. When we look behind for too long, we're gonna run into something and it's not gonna be good. You see, there is a new vision that is being released over this church. There is a new mandate, a new mantle that has come upon this people. We thought we were going here, but we're actually going up there. I don't even know what up there looks like, but I know that the world looks better from that mountaintop. And that's all I need to know. All I need to know is up there is better than here and it's gonna be hard to get there. And that's okay with me because Jesus is coming with. So to some, our calls, our, our, the, our way of thinking, our life, the way that we live our life is gonna be a fragrance of death. And to others, it will be a fragrance of beautiful, beautiful life. Let's celebrate the life that we're creating. Let's focus on the good and let's get rid of the rest. So I'm there at the uh, expo and I'm, I'm sitting behind this, this gentleman that, let me back up actually. So I'm on my way to, ex, to the expo and, and honestly, I'm just dealing with some unbelief in some areas. I'm gonna be really transparent. As a pastor, I happen to still deal with that. Like when I became a pastor, I, I, I was waiting for my level up, my full transformation of being a full perfect soldier for Christ and it never happened. <laughs> People think it happened but then they get really disappointed when they find out I'm just as imperfect as they are. It's the weirdest thing. I happen to still be human. And so I am dealing with unbelief on the way over there. And I said, you know what, Lord? There are some, some questions that I have that honestly I cannot answer. I can't figure them out. And I, and I don't know if I ever will. So I was sitting in the morning doing my uh, morning devotion. I love doing the uh, proverb of a day and five Psalms. That's kind of like my, my jam, that's my routine, what I, what I do in the morning when I'm having my devotion time with the Lord. And so I'm reading this proverb and I'm really questioning, like, Lord, I just flew across the United States. I'm away from my family. I do not want to be here if it's not for you. I would way rather be wrestling my children right now. And I, this does not interest me if this isn't you. And so I'm reading this proverb and I'm asking the Lord these questions and I get down to the bottom of Proverbs 22, because it was the 22nd. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And in that moment, I just felt like this presence fall upon me, uh, just completely out of nowhere. I'm just reading scripture and just something, you know how it's like something inside of you just rises up and you can't explain what it is, but you know something is different. So I experienced that and then I'm going and now I'm, I'm in expo and I'm behind this gentleman and we're sitting there and, and I'm just getting rocked by this teaching. Well, the next lecture took place and it was a, a lady from, um, uh, from a Central African nation. I can't remember the name of it right now. But she started telling about the work that she has done with the farmers in that nation. And uh, she made a, a big emphasis to promote uh, women-owned farms, women-owned producers, they've actually found, especially in developing nations, that if you pay the women to farm, the money will stay with the family. If the money stays with the family, a nation can be transformed. Oftentimes, in a lot of developing nations, the life expectancy of men is very short, and if they receive the money, unfortunately, they will go out and enjoy life alone. Uh, without their family and leave their family behind. So much so that they started doing these microloans to these women-owned businesses, and the microloans, the default rate on the microloans dropped to less than 2%. 
So there's a huge push in the coffee industry, and I didn't realize these statistics until I was there. I had, I had heard, uh, uh, you know, that there's a lot of women producers that are kind of up and coming. I thought, you know what, I, I have four daughters. Great. I would love to support them. But I didn't realize the economic impact that takes place when we decide to do business with women in developing countries. So uh, extremely amazing stuff. And, and this, this lady is talking about what she's doing, and all of these women producers that have come together and, and are, are producing just really high quality specialty grade coffee. And then what that is transforming into is a school being built for children to actually go and to learn and for housing that is being built. You see, what is starting as just a relationship to buy a bean is actually transforming entire areas in the earth. I want to be a part of that. I'm not leaving that up for the world to do alone. I'm going to be a part of transforming that. And so I'm in that, and again, this session, I just lose it. I've got tears streaming down, and I feel, Lord, this is him putting his stamp on me, saying, this is your mandate for this coming season, is to bring transformation to these nations. And I'm like, I don't know even how to do that, but I'm, I'm just going to say yes. And so after the... Um, after the lecture is over, I stand up and this person from across the room goes, Mudpenny? Now I'm in Portland, Washington, not Michigan. Oregon, not Washington. And it's across, it's across the, none of you caught that, did you? Uh, it's, across, it's across the US. It happens to not be biased at all. Um, and this person goes, Mudpenny. And I say, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's my business. And he comes up and talks, hey, I was just in your restaurant last week. You're doing some amazing things here. Well, person that runs $400 million business is overhearing the conversation. You see, my Bible says that one that excels, a man that is skillful in his work, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. $400 million guy comes over and he says, hey, uh, I was just overhearing what you guys are talking about, blah, blah, blah. And we start talking. He introduces me to his wife. And he says, are you here all weekend long? I say, yes, I am. Great. I don't know if we have anything going on or not, but I would love to just learn about you and go have some dinner together. And so I think, I think I can clear my schedule for that. <laughs> Let me check with my assistant. I'm free. <laughs> and... Uh, so we go, dinner comes around, and this is the next night, and we're sitting there, and in walks this whole posse of people, and I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. It turns out one of them is the, one of the main leaders of a very large uh, coffee machine company, uh, one of the, the largest in the world, and uh, he's at dinner right here, and then... Um, there's another one that's uh, the chief sales director of a, a big roastery also. And uh, he's here, and then a producer from Nicaragua, of all places, is next to me. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my, I have a lot of family in Nicaragua, and, and we just were down there not too long ago. And so we start talking, and he starts telling me about what it is that he's dreaming up, the future that he's wanting to create. Now, this is a person that is doing $400 million in revenue. Like this is the time that maybe you just kind of lean back and enjoy. 
But what him and his wife have decided to do is to form the same types of relationships that I was just talking about. They are converting all of their purchasing to direct trade. It will cost them money, but it will change the world. And so he's, he's on this path with him and his wife are doing this together. They are going to all of these smallholder producers throughout the entire world. And he goes, and the reason why we wanted to invite you here is because of our com- capacity. You know, from one farm, we'll maybe buy a half a million pounds at a time. We buy about three million pounds a year in coffee. He said, we're meeting these people that can't support what it is that we have, but I would love to have you come along so that you can. You see, it was hours earlier that I said, I have no idea where to even start. I don't know what to do. I don't know what doors to knock on. All I know is I bought a plane ticket and I said yes. And now we have kings upon the earth that are seeking out transformation here upon this world and Jesus just shows up right in the middle of it all. You see... We started talking. I said, why are you doing what you're doing? This, this is not like, this isn't, this is not a great idea, basically, as far as in a business sense. And they tell me, they tell me many stories, but uh, the, the wife told me an amazing story about this producer. And, and it, it started this journey for them in 2018. And she said, and if we can get enough people to come along Enough people clanging the symbol, maybe we can just turn our industry around. You see, she saw the injustice that is actually taking place in the supply chain of coffee. That's just where we are. There are injustices all over this world. There are people, and I don't know what their walk with the Lord is. We didn't get into that. But there are people that are not satisfied with the ways of this world system. Over and over and over again, we are seeing more and more people in business rise up that are not okay with being in business just to make money and to exploit people that are out of sight and out of mind. I believe that we are called as a people to transform this world through practical boots on the ground, real nitty gritty relationships with people. Not a people that are just waiting for some moment to come to them, but those that are willing to say yes even though they do not understand. Those that are willing to knock on doors that they do not even know if they know how to open them once they get inside. Like I believe that there are a group of people, of dreamers that are rising up in this season that are not willing to bow down to the ways of this world any longer, but that see something impossible and say, that is the most realistic situation. That is the most, like, there is nothing that can stand in the way of impossibilities. That makes the most sense. A people that are okay with not being okay, but are willing to continue to press in to the heart of God. You see, I feel like for so many of us, we're waiting until we hit this point of perfection inside, waiting till we like ourselves a little bit more, waiting till the next people in our lives like ourselves a little bit more before we start to do what it is that God has called us to do. But do you not know that he has a really good habit of taking the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? He likes to take weak things of this world to put to shame those that are strong. We boast only in him and nothing in of ourselves. And that's the way of his kingdom. 
He enjoys using a bunch of people that don't have it all figured out, but that are okay with the reality of their humanity, that are okay with the reality of their weaknesses, that understand their human limitations, because they know that in those limitations, in those weaknesses, in that brokenness, that's where the grace of Jesus gets to shine, and that the entire world gets to know how real our God is. He wants to use a bunch of people that won't take the credit for themselves, but those that are willing to say, look, I couldn't have done this on my own. There's an, I am not some special leader. I am not some special, more anointed person that reached some level of max spirituality that doors just happened to open before me. What I am is a, a person that has said yes to Jesus and has hit my knees over and over again. Remember, at the beginning of that day, I was riddled with unbelief. I woke up so anxious on Saturday morning, not knowing what the heck I was doing there, full of insecurity about some of the people that I was about to meet. I hate small talk. I don't even know how to do it. I start with the weather, and the next thing I know, I'm like, uh, how's the weather in the state next to us? So are you uh, in school? No, I'm 65 years old. You think I haven't been in school for 45 years. Where's my kids at? I think I need to go get them. How many of you have experienced that from me? That is me not knowing what to talk about next. And I say, I think Rachel needs me. But unfortunately, she was across the globe <laughs> with my kids. It's okay to not have it all together. It is okay to be a weak people that are made strong by his grace. He prefers it that way. All throughout history, if you read this book, there is person after person that is used to do extraordinary things and they are very ordinary people. He loves to take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So don't think that you have to learn to operate in the ways of this world to ascend the hill of holiness. The only way to ascend that hill is through humility and understanding his grace in our lives. For him transforming us from the inside, being transformed into his image because we've looked at him, we've seen him face to face, and then we'll behave according to who he's created us to be, not the other way around. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a people that have said yes to your call upon their life. To those that are not willing to live life at the status quo. For those, Lord, that are not willing to be satisfied with living in the ways of this world, but will, oh, will not stop until they see your, your kingdom manifest here upon this earth. Transform us. Show us the culture of heaven. Show us a picture of who Jesus truly is. As we see him for who he truly is, we get to find out who we were created to be. Transform us, God. Give us boldness to walk into the situations, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't know what to say. You know what you're doing, Lord. And so we rest and we trust you. We trust the process that you have us in. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for those that were in our lives in the past, God. Actually, I want to break off. I just see just soul ties being removed this morning as I was talking. 
at those that are being held back because you couldn't be what somebody wanted you to be to them. That place is only meant for Jesus. All codependent relationships of the past, Lord, I thank you that you have given us a new identity and those things are broken. We don't need others to define who we are. We are only defined by what you say, by who you say we are, Lord. And so I just rebuke all ties to the past, all word curses specifically that have been spoken over you that play like a, like a reel in your mind. I just feel like there's just a tormenting of people's minds where you've heard the worst, you've heard your worst moment repeated over and over and over again. And, and it seems like you can't live up to anything but that. Thank you, Lord, for a renewal of the mind that your love would come and conquer those areas, God, that are holding people down those that are, that are defining people in a way that you have not defined them as. So we just let them go. We let them go. And we say yes to this next season, to this, to this new, exciting, bright future that you have for us, filled with trials and challenges and a good time with you, Jesus. We thank you for what it is that you're doing in this community. Thank you for strength, for grace, and for your mercy that's new for us every single morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.